Welcome to the Pardes Parsha podcast, brought to you by the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. I'm your host, Svi Hirschfield, and I'm excited to be here with you each week for a thoughtful and engaging discussion about the weekly Torah portion. Each episode, I'll be joined by a wonderful faculty member from Pardes to dive deep into the text, exploring its relevance and insights for our lives today. We will aspire to be creative, personal, and a little brave as we leave no stone unturned, seeking to bring out meaning and significance from each Parsha. And here's a request from us. If you enjoy our conversations, please take a moment to leave a five-star review for the podcast. Your feedback helps us reach more people with these important discussions. So whether you're a seasoned Torah scholar or a curious beginner, we invite you to join us on this journey of learning and discovery. With that, let's dive in and explore this week's Parsha together. Hello, everyone, and to new listeners, welcome, and to previous listeners, welcome back. We are going to be studying Parshat Balak. We got there pretty quickly, and here we are. And I am privileged today to have a wonderful colleague from Pardes, Rabbi Amirit Rosen, who, in addition to teaching at Pardes, is also the rabbi of Kilat Moreshet Avram here in Jerusalem, along with her husband, Rabbi David Goodman. And uh, we're so excited you could be here. It's wonderful to be here, Tzvi. So here we are in what I think is a, a difficult parsha because it's so unusual. We have the introduction of this outside character, this prophet, this wizard, who's invited by Balak to come and curse the people. And there's that story with the donkey. And it's all very confusing and challenging, a little bit weird. And we end up with this blessing instead of a curse. We have this non-Jewish prophet looking at the Jewish people and blessing them, and it's a strange parasha. It is. It's one of my favorite parashot. I love its imaginative side. I love it that there are wizards and talking donkeys and curses that turn into blessings. Well, yes, I guess it's not only weird, but it's exciting, right, that all that's happening. But you today, which I think is really beautiful, we have not done this, you would like also to focus on the haftorah of this parsha, which comes from Prophet Micha. Yes. One of the beautiful interpretations that I find of our parasha is through our sages that chose haftarot, that chose pieces from the prophets that highlight the parasha in a different way. In many ways, they didn't need to write a midrash, but actually through putting together the parasha with a haftara, that intertextuality allows us to see the parasha with a new light. So all those people running out to make Kiddush early during Haftorah, they're missing out because what you're suggesting here is not just a random attachment, but there's actually a parshanut, an interpretation going on from the Navi itself about the Chumash. Absolutely. And here in our Haftarah, Micha is explicit actually about the connection when he says to the people, remember what Balak king of Moab, what he planned against you and how Bil'am son of Beor responded to him. So there is a direct contextual connection which does not always exist. But aside from that, Micha takes Bil'am's beautiful metaphors and his blessings that at first were planned to be curses, but then became blessings. He takes these beautiful ideas, but gives them new meaning because 
In our parasha, the people are in the desert on their way to the promised land. And Bil'am blesses the people, saying to them that they are like palm groves that stretch out like gardens beside a river. And we have these beautiful metaphors of prosperity and of a wonderful future. But Micha, the prophet Micha, he is speaking to the people now after destruction or with a prophecy that there's going to be this terrible destruction of the people. But at the same time, he is giving them comfort. In Parashat Balak, if Bil'am talked about the people being like rivers in the gardens, Micha is saying that the remnants of Jacob, what will be left of the people, will be like dew from God like drops on the grass. So he is using the same metaphors, but in a way that is actually responding to what the people need. He is saying that the dew is not given by some person or is not dependent upon kings or something like that but that the people will feel that they have that opportunity for renewal that is not dependent on any person, but on God himself. The same thing in relation to Bil'am speaking about the people like a lion. Also, Micha says that the people will be like a lion amongst the other people. But that lion is not a lion of power. They don't have any power anymore. That lion is just their special identity, which will continue to be nurtured by the understanding of themselves in the difficult situation that they find themselves. So I want to make sure I'm following what you're saying in terms of there are these literary allusions where he is borrowing metaphors, Mm -hmm. but using them in a very different way. And before we come back, I'm just curious It's striking that a Jewish prophet would want to borrow metaphors and language from this non-Jewish prophet speaking to the people. Why does he choose, do you think, Bilam as the fertile ground in which he wants to then plant his prophecy? First of all, I think that one can't remain indifferent to the beautiful poetry that Bil'am's blessings bring to us. And there are beautiful midrashim that say that Bil'am was at the level of Moses, maybe if not even higher. Although in the story, we are exposed to Bil'am's internal questions as to what he is actually doing. Is it right? Because God told him that he shouldn't curse the people and he's asked yes to curse the people by the king of Moab. So we have these internal deliberations, but actually when Bil'am opens his mouth, he is open to the fact that God will tell him what to say, and he repeats that again and again to King Moab. So in fact, we actually have God's words coming out from a non-Jewish prophet, and that is a beautiful message for us. And the Rambam says that in the most beautiful way, learn the truth from whoever said it. Learn the truth from whoever said it, whether Jew or non-Jew. And that means that part of our religious understanding is that God is so great and so immense that 
His words can be learned not only from within our culture, from within our civilization, from civilizations around us. Which way it like confirms the truth, right? Because it's not only we that see it, but others see it as well. It also strikes me, maybe there's this piece of the sense of the power of tremendous reversal. That here Bilam is coming to curse, but because God wills it, it's going to be a blessing. Mm-hmm. And maybe that connects, like you said before, to a people who feel they're at the bottom, mm-hmm. but they should remember that if God wants it to be different, God can change the whole thing. Absolutely. But what is so special, I think, about what Micha does with these blessings, and maybe it also connects to what we are speaking about, if someone is looking from the outside versus someone looking from the inside, that Bil'am is bestowing the blessings upon the people, and the people are not expected to do anything. Micha is reiterating these beautiful blessings, but is actually calling the people to action. He is telling the people that if they want these blessings to come about, if they want these blessings of water, of sustenance to really manifest, they have to act in accordance to what is expected of them. And we have this Haftarah ending with, I think, one of the most powerful psukim in the whole of the Bible. A person will tell you what is good, but this is also what God expects from you. And in many ways, we see here the overlap, which is a beautiful overlap that is not always said sometimes in religious worlds, that there should be an overlap between what people experience as goodness to what God sees as goodness. There needs to be an overlap. And Micha says that there is an overlap. What does the human expect and what does God expect from us humans? So the job here of the Navi is very different. Bilam is coming basically to, you know, offer this bird's eye view perspective and say, tell the people how wonderful they are and how amazing they look in comparison to the rest of the world. And what you're saying is Micha's job is actually to come and tell them you can be amazing, but you need to become amazing and wonderful. You need to earn these blessings Mm -hmm. that are offered to you. And he's coming as an educator. I guess I would say, to tell them, let me tell you what God really wants from you. Absolutely. The comfort also is there with the calling. The comfort is you are special. Even though you're experiencing these hardships, you are special. You have the power in you. But that specialness doesn't give you a right to behave in a way that is hurtful to someone else. It doesn't give you a right to wield power On the contrary, actually, Micha says to the people, you're going to lose all your power. He says, you will have no more horses, you will have no more chariots, you will have no more citadels, you will have no more wizards on your side, and you will no longer bow to your own making. You will no longer bow to the things that you have made. So what are the people called to? They're called to do justice and loving kindness and to be humble. So the people are told, 
You are special. You have those powers within you. But how will they manifest? They will manifest through doing what is right, through doing what is just. But we know that justice doesn't always see the face. So there has to be loving kindness to really truly see the person before you so that justice is not used as a sword, but is used in loving kindness. But also that feeling of a special identity within has to come with that humbleness, with that humbleness in our relationship with God as well. So I want to just come back to something that you said to build the link. So the people are downtrodden, and the message is not that you should aspire to be the one in power, right? You're downtrodden, but don't worry, you're going to be in power and be able to push that onto other people. But in your lowly stature, there's something very special to learn about what God really wants from you. And it's not the fortresses and the chariots, and it's not the power. It's to, as you said, to pursue justice and loving kindness and humility. Exactly. And furthermore, when Bil'am gives what turns into blessings, when he's planning to curse, but they turn into blessings, he says to the king of Moab, and I liked what you said about a bird's eye view because the king of Moab is called actually Tsipor, a bird, so that was very nice. Bil'am asks him to put seven altars and to have all these korbanot, all these sacrifices, so that the curses that turn into blessings will have their effect. But Micha says, the people think that they need to bring God all these sacrifices and all these different altars. But then Micha says rhetorical questions. Is that what God wants? Thousands of sacrifices and of oils and of your firstborn. Is that really what God wants? And I feel that when we have a rhetorical question written down, it's so powerful because when someone sometimes asks us, do you really think that that's what God wants? That's kind of what gets people's minds thinking. Not when we are told what to do, but actually when we are truly asked, do you really believe that that is what God wants? It almost assumes that deep down we kind of already know, mm -hmm. right? That the prophet isn't starting from the beginning. He's almost trying to remind us. Remember how the sacrifices didn't work for Bil'am? He tried to manipulate God with sacrifices that didn't work. I'm reminding you something that you already know. You know deep down what God really wants, but maybe it's harder. Maybe the things that you mentioned, mishpat and chesed and sniut, uh, justice and loving kindness and humility, maybe those are a lot harder than offering a lot of sacrifices or building a lot of fortresses or buying a lot of horses. Absolutely. I mean, Michai uses these words, remember, 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 again, and that truly emphasizes that he really believes that the people know inside of them, that we know inside of us what is actually expected of us. And maybe that's also, in a way, what Bil'am knows in the parasha. He knows that God doesn't want the people to be cursed. And he allows for those blessings to come out of his mouth. And in the end, he of his own accord decides to bless the people. But sometimes it's hard. And in the story of Bil'am, we see why. Bil'am is offered gold and jewels and honor. And he does what is expected of him, which he knows is wrong. And sometimes we do what's expected of us because it's what everybody does. And it's what we think that will bring us honor. 
So we do the demonstrative things that we think that we should do. But in fact, Micha really calls us to look inside of us and to see, is what we're doing actually really connected to what we think is right? So let's talk about that big three. That was very beautiful what you said. What do those things mean? What do you think he's asking us? We use these words, mishpat and chesed, and even humility. We use them almost as taglines. But when you think about those terms, what do they mean to you? What do you think God wants of you? I can say on a personal level that living in Jerusalem, I feel that first of all, in the neighborhood, especially where our community is, to be aware of who needs help in the community, who are the poor people in the community that need support. Loving kindness is also to have an open heart to the people, because I'm also involved in interfaith dialogue. So I was very saddened to see what our fellow Christians needed to deal with in Jerusalem on Sunday when they were celebrating their Pentecost. And I would like to think with my fellow Jewish and Christian friends how to be there to support them next year, to give a different Jewish voice of support, because I felt that what happened on Sunday was an injustice during their celebrations. They had to deal with a lot of Jewish words of hate around them celebrating their Pentecost. So I feel that that's a calling for me as someone who lives in Jerusalem, as someone who cares also for all those living in Jerusalem. And humbleness, for me as a rabbi, often I need to be in the place of performance, whether it is when I give a drasha during tefillah, when it is that I am holding the space together. But I feel it's very important for me not to forget why am I doing this. If there is this ceremony truly answering the needs of those that are taking part of it, um, do I truly believe in the words that we are saying? Are they giving comfort? Is the space that I am holding truly open to all those that want to take part in it? So as a person that is actually holding the ceremonial side of things, I constantly need to check myself to see that the ceremony is not a screen which is actually not allowing for change, not allowing for personal growth, but that the ceremonial space is allowing for personal and community development. So what you're saying, if I understand, is as a rabbi, it's not always so easy to worry about whether the kitchen has been koshered and the lulav is the right size and length, but to actually worry about both your own internal connection, what's going on, and the other people around you. Absolutely. And when I'm thinking of the lulav and making sure that everybody that paid for the lulav is getting the lulav, I also need to make sure that those that do not have the money or those that do not know even how to hold the lulav are getting the opportunity to experience that. So I know that you had brought to us, I'm going to invite you to share a passage from the Talmud that focuses in on what Micha says at the end, and I think in a very surprising way. Would you be willing to share that with us now? Absolutely. So in Tractate Makot, Rabbi Shimlai says that Moses gave us 613 commandments. And 
Rabbi Shimlai is suggesting that sometimes when there are so many things that we feel that we need to do, we can get lost in the details. And he shows us how different prophets try to narrow it down to the pillars of what these 613 commandments and details are sitting upon. And he says that Micha divided the 613 commandments into three pillars. Or what God is expecting of you. So the three pillars are Mishpat, justice, Ahavat Chesed, loving kindness, im Elohecha, to be humble with your God. And what I think Micha is trying to do and what he's trying to do all along is to tell the people the details of your religion they stand on these three pillars. Sometimes we get bogged down in the details. We don't have this. We don't have that. We're missing this. We're missing that. If only I had this in my personality. And only if my reality was a bit different, I could do this and that. If only I had this specific altar, this specific quality, I could do what I wanted to do. But Micha says to the people, even in difficulty, you have everything you need inside you. And what will manifest these blessings that you have inside you are these three pillars. So it is taking the details of our religion in a way like Hillel said, what is the big klal of the Torah? What is the big... The big message, the central theme. Exactly. Don't do unto your... Fellow, what you don't like to be done to you. And the rest is commentary. And the rest right? is commentary. So Micha chooses to be a little bit more explicit than that. Well, I have to ask you because it's so striking. First of all, this appears in the Talmud. And many people who study Talmud would say, this is a book all about details all the time. Mm -hmm. They love discussing details. They love focusing on details how big the Kiddush cup has to be and how quickly you have to drink it after making the blessing. And we could go on and on and on. And the fact that the rabbis of the Talmud themselves would use this as an example, really all this 613 really comes down to these three central ethical moral principles. So that's number one, very striking. But I now have to ask you as a traditional rabbi, as someone who I imagine teaches details, performs rituals in a detailed way, probably often has to stand up for the importance of following the rules, whatever they might be. What do you do when the rules and the details for yourself personally or in your community, you don't feel it lines up or promotes these three basic values of mishpat and chesed and tzniut? Thank you, Tzvi. Definitely, I am very much a believer that God is in the little details and that we need to look at the details because the details also make up the whole. And the more we are aware of the little details, then our whole can be fuller and deeper and more open and accessible. So I'm definitely a believer in details. However, it is true that we need to make sure that the ritual is in keeping with our goal, with our vision, with our hopes, with our dreams, with what we know deep inside of us, 
that is expected of us as religious people, as spiritual people. And so what do I do when I feel that there is a disruption between the details and what I truly believe is right? So an easier way to go about things and also a way that I believe in is interpretation. Because when we can reinterpret words, when we can reinterpret our actions and give it the interpretation that gives it the spiritual grandeur of justice and loving kindness, then we can continue our link with tradition as been until now in a new understanding. But sometimes this is not possible. And then we are called to brace ourselves and we are called for the strength of heart. I also believe that our tradition has those powers from within to develop, but we definitely need to prepare ourselves for criticism because there will be those that criticize change and a different way of going about things. But I think that's what Micha is saying to us, that deep inside we know what's right and we need to listen to that and be also brave enough to go with that when it's needed. Wow. You know, what occurs to me now after you spoke is here we are, we read the Parsha and things look great. We're this big, massive, powerful people. And even this powerful prophet among the Gentiles sees us as being so wonderful and so powerful with this great future. And we're going to march into the land and we have the Torah and we have all these wonderful things. And then you read the Haftorah and it's this powerful reminder of the endless work we have to do as a people and as individuals on aligning ourselves with our core values and that how really nothing is guaranteed. We have potential, we have promise, but we have to work to earn that wonderful future. And it's not going to be found in the amassing of power or wealth. It's going to be found in the development of our character. So it's almost like the Haftorah takes you down from this potential ego trip, if you will, of where the Jewish people are and takes you to a time in history where things are difficult and our way out of the difficulty is not going to be through power. It's going to be through values. Absolutely. And Micha is saying also that maybe what is seen from the outside in the past is one thing. And we know that we live in a world where we often need to present ourselves, whether it's in Facebook, a certain persona, where it's when we try to promote ourselves in different ways, we try to promote our Bet Midrash, our communities, ourselves for different things, then there is a certain thing of what is seen from the outside. And Bil'am tells us what is seen from the outside in his time. And Micha is telling us, and maybe that is also the beauty of someone from inside and what someone from inside can do. He has the place for criticism and he is talking about what needs to be fixed, but he's saying to the people, you can fix it. You can fix it through not only looking at the facade and not only thinking what you need to do that will promote you, but more what is the internal work that needs to be done for you really to flourish. Which of course is both inspiring and scary because if religious life is a checklist, you know, I learned Dafyomi, I went to Minyan, I only bought my food from this butcher and you know the list and you could make that list as quickly as I could. 
there's something very calming and soothing and reassuring. But if religious life is really about asking those hard questions about my integrity and my values and how I treat others in this world and my own place in this world, there's a lot of work to do. So everybody listening to this, be prepared. I mean, Rita's telling you, you got a lot of work to do. It's not just about, you know, koshering your kitchen for Pesach. you got a lot of work to do. But Micha is telling us that these blessings are inside us, but just we need to be partners with God. We need to be true partners with God for these blessings to manifest themselves. It's so good you're here. If people were in here with us right now, they would see me looking all frightened and a little bit skeptical, and you would see Amirit smiling with confidence and joy. I'm glad she's here to balance me out, at least, and hopefully balance all of us out as well. So thank you so, so much for joining and for offering this different perspective and getting us to stay in synagogue for the Haftorah and to pay attention. And it was just a pleasure learning with you today. Thank you, Tzvi. A pleasure to learn from you and to hear my words reiterated in such beauty. Wow. Okay. I will take that compliment. So to all of you, of course, we wish you a Shabbat Shalom and uh, look forward to you learning with us next week. Thank you for joining us. And thank you, Amirit, again. Thank you for tuning in to the Pardes Parsha podcast recorded here at Nomi Studios in Jerusalem. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode and gained some new insights and perspectives on the Torah portion. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite streaming platform and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the episode. Your feedback helps us reach more people with these important conversations. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to exploring the Torah with you again next week on the Pardes Parsha podcast. Shabbat Shalom.